0: In our day, the itching ears are everywhere, aren't they? Just itching. Itching ears. Itching. Where's the spiritual Q-tips? Itching. And what do those people do? They heap up teachers for themselves. Got to find someplace that will tickle my fancies. I don't want to really grow in Christ. that would be too much of denying myself and crucifying the flesh and laying down my life, so... go somewhere where it's fun and entertaining and often as I said before often in those situations people are not in neutral they're spiritually actually in reverse
1: welcome to this day in the word with pastor John couch the radio teaching ministry of this day ministries it is a joy to have you listening today and we pray that you will be encouraged challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Lord, uh, we just thank you again. We praise you. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. on every level, we need you. And so, Lord, I pray just a tight, compact prayer. Holy Spirit, whoever needs you to invade their life right now, I pray you would do it right now. All over this room, we're praying for those folks that need Jesus. No longer I surrender some, but truly I surrender all. Father, move me out of the way so we just hear from You. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 20. Acts 20, I'm looking at 17 through 27 today. And as you're turning to Acts 20, 17 through 27, the title of our time together today is Do I Long to Fulfill My Assignment from the Lord? Make that personal. Ask yourself, self, do I truthfully, do I long to fulfill, to do, to obey, to complete my assignment for the Lord? Maybe some are wondering well, what is my assignment? Well, homework, homework alert. Go ask the Lord what it is. I mean, there's a personal assignment, but there is a corporate assignment for all believers. And the corporate assignment, because I don't know the details of your personal assignment, but I know corporately that every true believer in Jesus is to give glory to God... To be a true, fully devoted disciple of Jesus that goes and makes true, fully devoted disciples of Jesus. For every true believer, that's a blanket biblical statement that cannot be denied. I mean, I guess you could deny it, but you're denying Scripture. Every true believer should be giving glory to God Being a disciple, you've given your life to Jesus, now you're continually in that process of ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus, and we call it sanctification, that you're feasting on the Word daily, the Word's in you, you're in the Word, you're in fervent prayer daily, you're in the fellowship of the gathering, you're ministering, you're caring, you're sharing, you're denying self, you're looking away from self. You're walking across the street and sharing Jesus. That's for all of us. Now, do I know what your personal assignment is? Not necessarily, but I hope you do. Now, where God has planted you, I promise you this, if you're a true believer in Jesus, He's given you a personal mission. And so the question today is, do I, do you long to fulfill your assignment from the Lord. I wanted to start with a, a quote. And this quote is probably one of the most powerful quotes I have ever heard in my life. We are in a world of complacency, as you know. We're talking in 24 that we want to be committed, that we want to be totally surrendered, that we desire to be sold out for Jesus, that we don't want to be a casual Christian. And yet we live in this world that pushes against that. We live in this world that that champions, no, don't do that. Go live for yourself. Well, here's this quote. It's from a man by the name of Paul Tripp. Listen to what he said. Mediocrity is not a time, comma, personal, comma, resource, comma, or location problem, mediocrity is a heart problem. We have lost our commitment to the highest levels of excellence. He's referring to spiritual matters, by the way, because we have lost our awe, our A-W-E, our awe, our awe and reverence and holiness of God. Awe amnesia is the open door that admits mediocrity. Awe of God is fear-producing, inspiring, motivating, convicting, and commitment-producing. There is no replacement for this, period, end quote. Can everyone shout, wow, wow, wow. I love quotes. That right there is one of the best quotes I've ever read. Because it's so true. Remember, God will meet you where you obey Him. God will meet you where you obey Him. Where you are rooted to Remember, it's all about root and fruit as you're seeking to ask God, perhaps even right now, God, what is my personal assignment? I know my corporate assignment, but what is my personal assignment? And you can't do everything. There are things you're going to need to say no to that are good, godly things, but refuse to do nothing. The enemy is going to want to pull you away, just pull you away. Before you know it, you're missing one Sunday here, another Sunday there, and a Wednesday night there, and a Wednesday night here. And just before you know it, it's just this slow slide. Out from under the Word, out from under protection spiritually. And before you know it, you're not actually a neutral. Unbeknownst to that person, you're actually in reverse spiritually. And Satan is so crafty. See, I believe from this text today, we're going to see about fulfilling our mission. And so in Acts 20, let's read together what the Word says. 17-27, through 27, ESV translation, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and we're going to explain what that word even means. Verse 17, Acts 20, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, how? with all humility, and with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying, 21, both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 22. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Well, that sounds like a fun trip, doesn't it? 24, here's his response. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, if only I may finish my course, and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now look at 25 through 27 as we conclude this chunk. And now, behold, I know that of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. That's pretty wild. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Wow. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Church, this is the Word of God and all God's people said, amen. Well, let's dig deep. Look at 17 Acts 20. Look at this first verse. Very important. So here's Paul. And it says this, now from Miletus, so he's in Miletus, and he sent to Ephesus, it's about 30 miles away, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. There's a lot of confusion on what elders are, and I pray we can clear that up today. That's my prayer, from the Word of God. Elders in the New Testament, that word is not referring to people that are older. It's referring to a biblical office. In the New Testament, there are two biblical offices: the elders, we're explain this, and the deacons. And so what I want you to do as we kind of weave what Paul said here, and we see what Paul was enduring and how he handled it, and we're going to weave in what elders biblically looks like, I want you to write out of the gate to write down key number one. Write this down. Key number one in your notes. Just write this down. You're going to need to be writing down a lot here today to really hermeneutically understand what the Bible is teaching. So key number one, here it is. According to the New Testament, churches are to have a plurality more than one of godly men called elders who spiritually, this is key, who spiritually lead the church. Let me say this one more time. Key number one, remember Paul, Miletus, he goes, hey, Ephesian elders, plural, I need to talk with you. Come here. And so, key number one, according to the New Testament, churches are to have a plurality of godly men called elders who spiritually lead the church. What are biblical elders? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Depending on the Greek word, you can really interchange pastor, elder, overseer, bishop. Well, when you think of this, what's so interesting is to this point, Paul called the elders plural. There's nowhere in the New Testament where it's advocated that you have one elder that you hire and that one elder does all the work, just unbiblical. Uh, What you do see is that there should be a plurality of spiritual godly men that the bar is really high, and we're going to see that here in just a moment. The bar is high, but they deal with the spiritual components of the church. Uh, If you have some men that are desiring the spiritual growth that they're desiring holiness and godliness and and righteousness and obedience, and that we would run hard after Jesus. And then if you have others that aren't so for that, even though they won't deny that, it's not like you got this other group of men that are, you know, down in the janitor's closet with a Ouija board. You know, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about that if you have some men, and again, this is men, this is reserved, this office for men. It's very clear. We can say we don't like it, but it's reserved for men. That's what the Bible says. And if you got a group going, holiness, righteousness, obedience, and the rest going, let's spend 19 hours debating what kind of thermometer we should use for COVID. When our passions are misplaced. And here Paul is calling these men to do this. I've said this now for for years. 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 At least 20 years. Show me the spiritual condition of your men and I will show you the spiritual condition of your church. There's an old phrase that, as the man goes, so goes the home, the church, and the nation. And we are in a crisis of mass proportions of spiritual men. Well, where are the spiritual men? Where are they? I'm talking all over our world today. I just talked with someone just yesterday. I love how the Lord just connects dots. He's the great dot connector. I'm talking to someone yesterday who does not live in Virginia lives way, 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 way far away from here, and they're talk, here's what they're talking about. Unprompted, they're like, yeah, this one church that they felt pressured to, to kind of put so-and-so in as an elder, and sure enough, uh, there wasn't due diligence done, and it's just a train wreck. you got to be careful. you got to be careful. Men who meet the qualifications of elders must desire spiritual wellness for themselves first and for the church above everything else above everything else everything is viewed through a spiritual lens I'll write this down under supporting text 1 Timothy 3 1 through 7 this is Paul speaking to Timothy pastor Timothy 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Here's what Paul writes about elders. And as he is meeting with these Ephesian elders, we can take this same thought and apply it. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. So if someone goes, What I'm about to say right now is trustworthy, what would your response be? Okay, we're going to count on it, it's going to be good. If anyone aspires to the office, there it is, of overseer, pastor, elder, bishop, he desires a noble task. Okay, that's good. Therefore, an overseer, that pastor, elder, bishop, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, and literally in the Greek means this, a one-woman man is what it means, sober-minded, self-controlled. Respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, for someone does not know how to manage his own household, how we care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up, arrogant, prideful with conceit. And fall into condemnation of the devil. Wow. Lastly, verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that why he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Wow. Powerful, isn't it? Just lays it out so beautifully. Now, there's no man, humanly speaking, that's perfect. We all have flaws. I do, you do. We all have flaws. But, but there is a standard. And what you begin to understand is this, when, again, going back to this point, the, the whole point, hear me clearly on this, because here I want you to hear the Bible clearly. The whole point, as Paul is calling these Ephesian elders to his side, is again not to talk about the weather, although you can. It's not to talk about sports, although you can. The the, the whole point is to talk about spiritual things, to deal with spiritual things. That is the point. Our world is in such crisis today, and, and our world, it's not economic, even though we're having crazy economic times. It's not social issues per se, although we're having those issues. But what we're dealing with today is we're in a spiritual crisis. That is the problem. There is no way around this. We can Mickey Mouse it, we can massage it, break out your lucky charm spiritually. But unless we get to the point in this country of understanding the spiritual crisis we're in, you will never get out of that crisis. And God set it up this way that there would be men spiritually that are called to lead. And yet I I, I say this again as I think about it, but when I think about the years of ministry and growing up with a dad that was in ministry, and you see just year upon year upon year all over the landscape of this country and around the world, as the saying goes, that the only way for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. This is the time. This is the time to to become the spiritual man God has called you to be, whether you're an elder or not. I'm just talking about men in general. This is the time. This is the day. This is your day. This is your day that you can go, you know what, I'm I'm all in. I'm tired of playing games with God. I'm tired of one hand on the world and one hand on God. I'm I'm tired of just going around and, and doing the thing, if you will, and playing the dance. No. Today's your day, men. I'm calling me and I'm calling you out that, that today's our day that, that we can, that we must be, that we should. We should be godly men that pursue spiritual things above everything else. If you're married, your wife is counting on it. She's counting on it. If you got kids, they're counting on it. If you've got grandkids, they're counting on it. You may do a lot of good things for your wife and your kids and your grandkids, but unless you are living Christ, everything else is a waste. It's a total waste. Man, let's be the men, godly, spiritually, that we're called to be. Amen? I want you to look at the second component here of this overall chunk of Scripture. Look at Acts chapter 20, 18 through 23. So, 18 through 23. So, Paul, again, 17, he gathers the elders of Miletus, or he's at Miletus. Paul's at Miletus, and he says, hey, elders, Ephesians, come. Come here. 18. 18. Acts 20, because Paul is a prime example of an elder. And so what's he say? He says, and when they came to him, he said to them, so when they, the elders of Ephesus, came to him, he says to the elders of Ephesus, you yourselves know, like you can't deny this, and that's the beauty, that's the beauty of a godly man. It's the beauty of a godly man, you can't deny it. It's like pride you can't hide arrogance and pride and guess what you can't hide a godly man in this culture he sticks out like a sore thumb in a glorious way man you yourselves know 18 acts 20 how i lived among you the whole time <laughs> love that From the first day. So from the first day, he goes, this is the desire. He goes, from the first day, this is the aim. From the first day, this is the plan. What's his plan? Let's look at it. Great plan here. Plans of his day can still be applied to our day. What's the plan? Here it is. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, (laughs) and Paul's like, I modeled this. I'm going back in time to help you. 19 serving the Lord. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Seems simple. Serving the Lord. How, though? This is what's key. How are we to serve the Lord, men? With all humility. Joyful submission to God is how we could say it. You ever get up in the morning, men, and go, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. Man, you've given me another day, another breath, and I'm going to live for your glory. I'm going to joyfully, with a smile, be submissive to your plan, not try to strong-arm you, God, and twist your arm to be submissive to my plan. (laughs) Easy to do if we're not careful. So, with all humility and with tears. Oh, this is good. He's serving the Lord with humility and with tears. Why? Well, remember... When you think about Paul's life, Paul had a lot of pain, didn't he? I mean, a lot of pain. If you think your life is hard, and maybe it is, I don't want to discount that, but maybe your life is hard, but just read through the Apostle Paul when Jesus said on the Damascus road that you're a chosen vessel that you might suffer greatly for for the fame, there it is right there, for the fame of my name. Jesus fulfilled that promise, didn't he? Yeah. And with tears, Paul wept because of false teachers. Paul wept because people were led astray from the Gospel. People rejected Christ. They just say, no. No. There's nothing more disturbing. And gut-wrenching than when someone says no to Jesus. And even he had tears because of professing Christians who were not acting like Christians. And what's he going to say? And with trials? This is a great template. He's reminding these elders that his life was a spiritual fight, not a fashion show. I've been through the battle. I'm still here by God's grace. His grace really is sufficient. Paul's like, For I know, I know with confidence, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I know whom I have believed. And He is able. He is able. Church, do you believe God is able today? He is able to keep, to guard, to protect that which I've committed to Him until that day. And what a day it's going to be, amen? You guys ever just long for the day? Just long for the day. I think I hear the trumpet. There's actually Christians that go, "Oh man, I got so much more I'd like to do." Really? There's nothing greater than staying in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> you're not. Trust me on this. Here's the Cliff Notes: You're not going to stand in front of Jesus on that day if you're a true believer and go, "Man, I want to go back." Man, you're just going to be like. There He is! There's Jesus! I love Him! He's greater than I even thought. And that right there was Paul's ideology. Look what he says there at the end of 19. And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You know, sometimes we forget about those that are taking a spiritual beating. I mean, most people that are taking a spiritual beating don't go around with a billboard, hey, I'm taking a spiritual beating. It's easy to forget about those that are being harassed, being harassed for the good gospel work. And that's exactly what he's trying to remind these elders. And then he says this, verse 20, how I did not shrink. Paul did not cowardly bend. He did not buckle. He did not break. While everyone else is running out of the fire, he's running back in. Uh, Why the bullets are flying spiritually, he's taken up the shield of faith which will quench the spiritual bullets, a.k.a. fiery darts. That's just who Paul was. And see, that's what happens when you get radically saved. There should be a, a boldness, a courage to be the man God's called you to be. And by the way, ladies, these principles can certainly be applied as well. Paul doesn't hunker in the bunker. He runs out onto the battlefield. And he declares, verse 20, to you, what? Anything that was profitable and teaching you in public. Remember the, the hall of Tyrannus, the synagogues, from house to house, the early church, a lot of house church meetings. 21, here it is. 21, testifying, giving testimony... To what? To Jews and to Greeks. Here's what he's saying. To all people. That the gospel's just not for the Jew. The gospel's for all people. The gospel is for everyone who believes. Amen? Amen? And it's what? This gospel of repentance. This is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. It means to change one's mind, which then changes one, the person. You change your mind. Why? Because the mind is the battlefield, the battlefield of the mind. What we think on is what we act on. If you think a lot about sin, at some point you're going to sin. If you think a lot about Jesus, a lot about holiness, You think a lot about righteousness, you think a lot about obedience, you you think a lot about being in the fellowship and growing, you think a lot about just surrounding yourself with with people that love Jesus and you're sharing what He's doing in your life and and you're going back and forth in that joyful koinonia that, that you are surrendering more and more day by day by day of who you are. You think on these things and you will begin to do these things. It's just how the human mind works. What we think on is what we act on. And this repentance, you don't hear it often anymore, do you? Truthfully. Like, like do you hear that? What we often hear is, who wants to go to heaven? Right? That's the new one. Have to be a raging idiot to say no to that one, right? <laughs> who wants to go to heaven? Well, sure, right? When's the train leaving? But no one tells them what it costs to get there. You have to repent. The Bible says this unless you repent, you will die in your sins. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make it up. That's what the Bible says. I make it just so easy, right? Because it makes us feel good. Raise a hand, say a prayer, do a cartwheel, sign a car, jump out of the balcony. Paint the parking lot stripes yellow instead of white. Fuse red instead of blue. Holy Spirit will descend on this place like never before. It's just it's utter insanity, is what it is. And you know why this happens? You know why? Because you get people, especially men, who are leading and they don't have spiritual things leading them. That's it. It's real easy to have a country club. And a country club doesn't need to be thousands of people. You can have three. Spiritual things have to be the driver for the men that lead a biblical church above everything else. And when they're not, again, they're smart enough to to not openly deny these things. I'll tell you this, they will push against them in a heartbeat why because it exposes the toxins and the poison that has perhaps been there for decades repentance i actually had someone say this to me someone said this to me they said you know some of us are some of us are kind of tired of you talking about repentance all the time really do tell see here's what you understand if you understand the bible repentance is not a one-time thing repentance is a lifetime thing the closer you get to jesus the more that he reveals in me and you what needs to be refined and pruned so what are you going to do with all that new stuff that needs to be refined and pruned if you're hanging on to when you were seven you supposedly repented it doesn't make any sense what planet are we living on the more you get closer to Jesus, the more you're gonna go, I can't believe that I'm living like this. And yes, I made a profession at seven, but prayerfully, we're growing from seven to 51 or whatever your age is. And now you're going, well, What am I gonna do with all this? Gee, what am I gonna do? What do you do? Put it in a duffel bag in the back of your closet? No, you repent. You go, This is an honoring to the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul was telling these guys. This gospel of repentance. It's not, it's not that you regret something. You can regret something and still not repent. And by the way, repentance is not a repeated apology. It's not repentance. That's, I'm sorry, I got caught. And I hope it doesn't happen again. Repentance. It's a hatred for personal indwelling sin. And then what happens? Well, look there at the end of 21. It says, towards God. So see where the aim is. And a faith in, there it is, faith in. Don't miss that. Faith in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, not faith uh, you know, on top of him, under him, beside him. Hey, buddy, high five. No, it's, he's saying, no, faith in, <laughs> surrender. That's what he's saying. 22 and now behold I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. I'm chained to the Holy Spirit. I'm under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. I'm under total control of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm fully yielded. Fully yielded. Pretty cool to hang around those people, isn't it? Matter of fact, so yesterday, get an email. Uh, not from someone here, but from just another connection. And, and they're sending this email and they're, they're writing to me to tell about someone I know who they've never in their life seen someone referring to this person I know who's so surrendered to Jesus. It was awesome. It made me really smile. Never seen this before. Matter of fact, you know what they said about this person who I know who doesn't live over here or in this area, but they said, This person, this one person, this one person has turned our church upside down. Ooh, it's good, isn't it? Never underestimate the power of your obedience. One person. Every fire starts with one spark. One. One. Don't underestimate your obedience. Perhaps God is waiting on you to crawl upon the altar of revival to be the kindling of total surrender that the revival might start by your obedience. And there's a flip side to that. Can you imagine when you stand in front of Jesus on that day and He goes, hey, you know what, glad you're here. This is great, but we need to deal with something real quick here. You had a great opportunity... To be the candle to start the revival. And I prompted you, and I prompted you, and I prompted you, and you said no, 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 and no. Don't underestimate what your obedience and disobedience may do and just not your own life, but in the lives of others. Because Paul says, not knowing, here it is, end of 22, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, okay, here we go, except that the Holy Spirit testifies. He gives a warning, heads up. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, here's what's going to happen. He testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, if that's you, don't lie, you're in church. But if that's you, put yourself in that situation, what is your response going to be? What's your response going to be? This is great. This is awesome. Thank you, Lord. Is that what you're going to say? Hmm. It got me to thinking. It got me to thinking. I wrote down key number two. Write this down. Several implied marks of biblical elders from Acts 20: 18 through 23 are just pulling from the text, serving the Lord, humility, enduring trials, boldness in teaching, repentance and faith in Christ alone, and being under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, one of, the, one of the marks of a Christ follower is that you will be marked by pain and suffering and trials. <laughs> Sam talked about it. It's not on the screens, but John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. You will. In this world, you will have, in the Greek, pressure, oppressing together, comma, aren't you glad Jesus didn't go, hey, Good luck. <laughs> hope it works out. No, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Do you believe that today, church? Do you believe that Jesus has overcome the world? I know I do. Like, I'm banking everything on the fact that the Bible says that Jesus has overcome the world. I'm banking everything on it, everything, my life. You know, one of the reasons I believe that Paul is recapping all of this is to give an example. You know, when we see examples of those that have went before us and they've endured, it inspires, doesn't it? When we see examples of those that have suffered well, they've suffered well for God's glory, it inspires, doesn't it? that they've walked the road. They've walked the road that we have and, and they did not lose heart. They, they kept pressing on. They knew that the Word of God was true, that for those who don't lose heart, they're going to reap a great harvest. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing with confidence, with a confident expectation that the labor you do for God is never in vain. Never It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Church, remember, God will meet you where you obey Him. I'm telling you. He blesses obedience. Not disobedience. Don't live in rebellion. Paul knew. Paul knew. He knew in these trials. I love this. He knew in the trials... That we are more than conquerors. So today in your trial, you can be more than a conqueror. It gives the imagery in the Greek language of hyper-victory. Like lopsided for you sports fans. We're talking 100 to nothing in the first quarter like lopsided, hyper-victory. Paul said, in the midst of all of my pain, I know with confidence that there's no doubt, there's no wishy-washy, there's no wondering. He goes, I know. I know my Redeemer lives, that there's confidence in that. There's a confident expectation that I know. I'm not hoping. I'm not wishing. I know that In these trials, not apart from them, but in these trials, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's how great our God is. And again, the Bible says, unless you repent, you will die in your sins. Unless you repent, you'll die in your sins. Write this chunk down. Titus, chapter one. We see more about the biblical concept of elders. Paul writing now to Titus, first to Timothy, now to Titus. So here it is, Titus one five through sixteen. Here's what Paul says. He says, "This is why I left you in Crete, so that the why you might put what remained into order." And appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, you're going to see some themes repeated here. And by the way, I encourage you to take these texts I'm giving you and to research them throughout the week on your own. Be a self-feeder. The husband of one wife, a one-woman man. His children are believers. Not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, a pastor, elder, bishop. As God's steward must be above reproach, repeats it again. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now here it is, verse nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word. Mm. He must hold firm. To the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that, there it is, he may be able to give instruction in what kind of doctrine? Sound. It's the word hygienic, healthy. We live in a culture filled with unhealthy doctrine. We live in a day and age where there are pastors all across our world today that are not teaching the Bible. And what they're doing is they're actually enabling people to get ushered into a godless hell. There is a hell. I don't know if you know that. Jesus died not because He was bored. He was crucified not because He had nothing going on that afternoon. He paid the price you and I should have paid. He died the death you and I should have died so that we would not Spend eternity apart from God in an everlasting hell lake of fire. And there's people out there today that go, I wish God would do something for me. I'm like, you're out of your mind. He gave His only Son that you might live. Be set free. And you want God to do something for you. It's a wild world we live in, isn't it? But going back to Titus, and also, there's that verse 9, to give instruction healthy sound doctrine and also to rebuke, oh boy, really? And also to rebuke those who contradict it, really, yeah, yeah. For there are many who are insubordinate, spiritually speaking. We don't want to hear this. We're not going to hear this. When you tell us the truth, we don't care. Hmm. They're insubordinate. Empty talkers. Oh yeah. Vain. Empty. Just blah, blah, blah. Deceivers. Oh wow. Especially those of the circumcision party. So going back there to the Jews and all that went on there with what is about salvation and, and works and not works and all that went on in that, it still applies today. Not just that topic, but just the concept. The concept of what? There are many that are insubordinate spiritually. The concept there are empty talkers. The concept of deceivers, yes. And what should we do? What does Paul tell Titus? They must be silenced. Hmm, wow. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, that means personal gain. Me, me, me. I want control. I'm telling you this, when you come across someone who's a control freak, you're most likely going to find someone whose life is spiritually out of control. I mean, there's grabbing for stuff. Their life's a wreck at home, their marriage, unbeknownst to anyone else, is a wreck, their kids are a disaster. And so they got to find some place to lobby for control. Hmm. So what do you do? Well, here's what he says. What they ought not to teach. Verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. There it is. Why? That they may be sound, hygienic in the faith, healthy, Not deceiving even themselves. See, that's the whole point. Deceivers do deceive other people. (laughs) There's the real problem, and they don't even know it. They've actually already deceived themselves. So you give away what you have. So if you're walking in deception, guess what you start doing? Deceiving. You walk in holiness, guess what you give away? Guess what you give away? Holiness, Jesus! No wonder there's such this spiritual war of light and darkness. So 14, Titus 1, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people. There it is, the commands of the people. Why listen to God when you can listen to everyone else? Not a good idea. Who turn away from the truth. There it is. Just turn people away from truth. And by the way, how much of the truth do you have to lie about to make it a lie? Just enough. Just a smidge. Twisted, distorted, just a smidge. And you can push the narrative that is desired. 15, to the pure, all things are pure. Amen. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess. Here it is, 16. They profess, okay? They profess to know God. So outwardly, we know God. Serve in the church, do this, do that. We know God, but they deny Him. They deny him. how? By their works. See, how they do their deal is eventually going to be exposed. And you've heard me say it time and time again, and I put myself at the top of the list. But time is the great exposer of who we all really are. Just give us time. Just give us time. If it's real in your life, Jesus, oh, it will endure. But if it's not, at some point, at some point you're going to be one of those soils. But either the thorns get in there, the weeds get in there, the rocky ground gets in there, and you will be exposed. Here's the last chunk, Acts 20, 24-27. And here's what the Bible says. So, again, here's Paul. He's had this unnerving news. <laughs> Holy Spirit says, hey, you've got to go to Jerusalem and you've got to suffer imprisonment and, and chains and afflictions. And this is so beautiful. Men, I'm talking to us, but ladies, apply it to your lives as well. Look at Paul's response. I mean, this speaks right here. This is Paul's response to your life is going to be a miserable wreck in Jerusalem. Here's his response. But, (laughs) hold the phone, is what he's saying. Spoiler alert. I do not account my life of any value. Hmm. One translation says it like this. Holy Spirit, thanks for sharing all this but none of these things move me from my mission Mm. that's good stuff isn't it that's good stuff i do not account my life of any value paul is so fearless here He's saying the attacks and the harassment and the trials, none of these things are going to sway me from my personal mission that I must fulfill before my King, my Master, and my Lord Jesus. That's his mindset. And the beauty of this men, spiritually speaking, women as well. Is that when you have that seared into your mind, when, not if, the attacks come, you won't be looking for exit ramps. Otherwise, you will be. You will. You will. I, I mean, I've lost count of the number of people over the years, starting back as a kid, under my dad's ministry to this day, of people who walked an aisle, said a prayer, looked great, looked amazing. And these people are nowhere to be found spiritually to this day. Nowhere. Nowhere. Look what happened to them. Poof. True Christ followers will endure to the end. And Paul models this. Because he says this, and I love this. He's like, I'm willing to risk everything for Jesus. Because he says, it's not precious to myself. Can you imagine if every professing believer actually said that and did that? Can you imagine what would happen? Let me just picture this for a moment. Every professing believer goes, this world's not about me and what I want, and you know what, it's all about Jesus and His glory, and I don't count my life precious to myself, and I'm just willing to do whatever it takes to achieve the mission, and oh, here's the mission, great, what can I do to get behind the mission? Can you imagine you get a bunch of people all over our world today doing that? Wow. If only, I love this, so here he goes, verse 24, if only, so Paul sharpens the pencil. If only, one thing, if only, here's the overarching goal, I may finish, I may cross the finish line, I may break the tape of my course, my race, my assignment, and the ministry that I receive from who, church? The Lord Jesus. That's the why. And here's further why. To testify, to give testimony of, to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom rather, will see my face again. He's anticipating, I'm going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit already told me, chains and tribulation await me. Probably going to see you. Therefore, 26, I testify, I drive a stake in the ground to you this day that I'm innocent.
1: Oh, this is good
0: that I am innocent of the blood of all. Mm. What is he saying here? He's saying, look, I have taught you, I've taught you, I've taught you, I've taught you. Perhaps he did it Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Actually, we know that in the hall of Tyrannus, he did it every day. But we know this, he taught them and he taught them and he taught them and here's what he's saying at some point, for those that still reject, I've taught you and I've taught you and I've taught you. And if you're going to reject, you made your bed, go sleep in it. But don't blame me, is what Paul is saying. I'm innocent. I did what I could, I was the vessel, I was the conduit. Hmm. Paul's conscience is clear for those who attacked him. It's like I'm not responsible for those who heard the gospel and rejected it. And 27, the last part, says this, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Mm. Man, in our day, the itching ears are everywhere, aren't they? Just itching. Itching ears. Itching. Where's the spiritual Q-tips? itching and what do those people do they heap up teachers for themselves gotta find some place that will tickle my fancies I don't want to really grow in Christ that'd be too much of denying myself and crucifying the flesh and laying down my life so let me go somewhere where it's fun and entertaining and often as I said before Often in those situations, people are not in neutral. They're spiritually actually in reverse. And so what do you do? Well, key number three. Here it is. Last key. Write it down. Key number three. Additional implied marks of biblical elders from Acts 24 through 27 are laying down their lives and reputations for the gospel, desiring to fulfill God's personal assignment for their lives, is what that's referring to, counting everything as loss compared to obedience, enduring false accusations, and courageously declaring the whole counsel of God. I love Paul. Paul just is, he's such an inspiration. He's like, I held nothing back. I wasn't wimpy. I wasn't mealy mouth, if you will. I wasn't spineless, didn't hunker in the bunker, but I boldly declared, I heralded to you all the Word of God and all its glory and all its truth. Church, I want you to write down that Ezekiel passage that I mentioned earlier, Ezekiel 33. And this sums up so beautifully where Paul says, I'm not responsible. I did my duty. I did my job, but I can't do this for you. And so here's Ezekiel 33, which beautifully undergirds that thought. Verse 7 through 9, verses 7 through 9. So you, son of man, the prophet is speaking here. I have made a watchman, that watchman on the wall, for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, the Lord says, you shall give them a warning from me. Verse 8 of Ezekiel 33, If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, his willful sin, his willful rebellion, but his blood I will require at your hand. He's telling Ezekiel, wow, that's frightening. But, but, verse 9. If you warn the wicked to turn from his way, this is what Paul's talking about, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, his willful rebellion and sin, his willful rebellion and sin, but you, Ezekiel, you will have what? Delivered your soul. In other words, My conscience is clear. I did everything I could. I warned and I warned and I warned and I warned. And that's what Paul is saying here. But I'm innocent of the blood of all. Don't blame me, he's saying. I gave you the truth. You may not liked it. There's so many people today, you give them the truth, and man, their esophagus just swells up. They can't handle it, right? I mean, the diet of meat of the Bible is just choking their life. They hate it. They hate it. Well, church, lastly, let me give you this text. Actually, two. So here they are, last two. So 1 Peter 5, write this down. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So here again, about biblical elders. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. Here's another passage about elders. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you, plural, as a fellow elder, Peter is saying, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. And by the way, the best way you can shepherd the flock of God is to feed them the Word of God. That's how you shepherd people. You give them the Word. I've been accused over the years that really the only thing I do is from the pulpit, praise Jesus. Amen? Like, praise Jesus. That's the whole point. These are spiritual things here, church. you got to grab a hold of this. This is spiritual. This is spiritual matters we're dealing with. This is life or death situation for our people today. It's life or death spiritually. And so what happens? Well, shepherd the flock, that's among you, exercising oversight, back to 1 Peter 5, Verse two, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the invading crown of glory, and all God's people said. Amen, amen. So, lastly, write down to Acts chapter six. Here it is. Last chunk to feed you to nourish your souls, what does the Bible say about the connection of biblical elders and biblical deacons? Here it is, Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so what's happening to the disciples? Do we know? Well, they're increasing in number. A complaint, that's a shocker, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what happens? Well, the twelve, the the elders, the pastors, the apostles, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom, what, we will appoint to this duty. But, verse 4, here it is again. This is the elder. This is the apostle, the teacher, the overseer, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you want to know how to feed the flock, it's through prayer and the ministry of the Word. That's how you feed. That's it right there. Verse 5, and what they said, pleased the whole gathering. Wow, that's amazing, right? Unanimous vote. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon, Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, six. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests, this is amazing, and a great many of the priests. Became obedient to the Christian faith. Can someone shout, Amen? Wow. See, all of this right here shows what spiritual health looks like in a church. Did you notice I said spiritual? Just not health. Remember, we're not a business, we do business. But our number one goal, if you believe the Bible, is to address spiritual matters. And when you do, oh, Satan doesn't go, hey, let me get the door for you. But over time, you get that culture of spiritual first ingrained into the fabric, into the DNA, and watch out what God's going to begin to do, amen? That's how our God works. Father, we come before you and we lift you up. Lord, anything that we put in front of you is an idol, anything. And so, God, I simply ask this question to myself and to those that are here, to those that are listening. What is most important to us? What's most important? The things of this world, material possessions. Retirement accounts, jobs, or spiritual matters. See, God, I know this to be true. It's impossible to simultaneously have two things that are most important to us. It's impossible. even tell us you'll love one and hate the other. And so we are either pursuing spiritual things first or spiritual things second. Lord, I I see this so clearly in my mind. A mighty move of you is not overly complicated. It just takes people putting spiritual things first. And so Lord, may that be us. May we be that initial flicker of flame, that one spark. May that be us today, God. And so, Lord, I pray for that one today that is struggling, that's battling the light and the darkness. God, I pray for freedom right now, just total freedom spiritually. All over this room and those listening, we, we have people we know related to. They may live way, way, way far away from here, but we know they're battling light and darkness. God, I pray for that person right now. May you do a miracle today. That's my prayer. God, whatever you want us to do, don't allow us to any longer, if we're casual in our faith, be casual in our faith. But may we draw a line in the sand right now And declare just not verbally, but with action, with proof, as for me and my house, as for me and my marriage, as for me and my children, as for me and my grandchildren, as for me and my church, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God, may you handle the consequences of that obedience. Whatever the price to pay is for that, we willingly accept it because we don't count our lives as precious to ourselves. None of these things move us, God. The only thing that moves us is you through the Holy Spirit. God, to you be the praise in this time of decision, this time of reflection. Don't allow the enemy to hold people back from what they need to do as they do business with you. May we no longer surrender some, but right now may we surrender everything to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.